It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, you're very welcome to this latest installment of Inside Story, a podcast series from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Each week we talk to our journalists about the background to stories which they've been working on for the print edition or on irishtimes.com. We hope to offer a bit more insight into the stories themselves and what the process of telling them involved. This week, the housing crisis has been in the news again, with Simon Coveney's proposals for a cap on rent increases in Dublin and Cork being debated in the Dáil. And the housing and homelessness crisis is generally regarded as the biggest challenge facing this government. But it is a multifaceted problem with no quick or easy solutions. One part of the story which may not have received the attention which it deserves is the question of the many unused or derelict buildings which have been standing empty for many years and sometimes for decades on the streets of our cities. This week our Dublin correspondent Olivia Kelly has been looking at this issue in some detail and I talked to her earlier. Interestingly enough, right across the road from us, only a few feet away really, a, a building was occupied uh, on Friday uh, by, by a group who were looking to, to have uh, derelict and empty buildings, well empty buildings in particular, released for the use of homeless people. Um, is that part of the problem that we're facing at the moment, that there's just a bunch of space out there that we could put people into? Yes, there is. There is there are quite a few empty buildings around the town um, and as you say lots of them empty for an awfully long time this one though is an odd choice that they've chosen Apollo House which is right next door to Hawkins House and they're both part of an of a planned uh, redevelopment scheme and it's currently in the planning process so you couldn't really accuse anyone in, in this instance of you know having been negligent having left a building idle for decades it was actually Apollo House is the one that faces onto Tara Street and that until quite recently was uh, on lease to the Department of Social Welfare They've, it's very recently that they've moved out. So it's not a building. Now, I'm sure these people have done this with the best of intent, but they could have picked somewhere else. It's not a building that has just been left to go to rack and ruin. But as I suppose the symbolism the of it is, it's a very prominent building, you know, that that, that, that group yeah. of buildings there are kind of known as some of the ugliest buildings exactly. in, in, I was in going Dublin. To say so that they're, they're well the known for that reason. They are. And perhaps maybe it's a case that it was a building that they were able to get access to as well that, you know, wasn't uh, steeled up, you know, the way they, they steal things up rather than board things up these days, that, that that hadn't been done to it. So maybe they could gain access to it. So it was a way of illustrating their point. But when you drill down into it, it's it's not a culprit as there are many culprits around well, the city. Well, then setting the symbolism aside, uh, if, if, if you were running such a group, where would you, where, where, where would you break into to, uh, where would to illustrate I go? the point? Well, where would I go? 
do I go? I don't really know. It, they, they've chosen a commercial building and perhaps that's pa- part of their, their point. Um, there, there's, you know, there's two sets of buildings in the town, really. There's there's the commercial buildings and then there's the, the houses. Um, and as you say, it's prominent building. So that's possibly why they chose that. But maybe that is their point that we should be reusing commercial buildings for houses. The thing with commercial buildings in the town, there are lots of commercial buildings that of course were built as houses because a lot of our Georgian stock and early Victorian stock in the city has become uh, used for businesses converted over the years, often very unsympathetically gutted to be used for for commercial use. Um, the figures on how much of that is vacant, I think uh, they hover. They change every year, but they hover. I think around the. the the thousand mark. I think there are, there are about a thousand. Uh, now I stand to be corrected on that, but I think there are about a thousand vacant commercial buildings. These would in be the entirely city. vacant from 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 the ground floor up, if they're to be classified in that fashion. Yes, right? yes, they would. They would. They'd have lost their their shop use on the ground floor. And of course, it's interesting that you make that point because while a lot of buildings look to be active on the ground floor, that's all they are, and they could be. You could be talking about four or five story Georgian house built as a Georgian house, now a commercial building on the ground floor. Um, and every other story is vacant. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a huge waste. Um, and and it's something we're particularly guilty of in, in this city, that other capital cities, European capital cities, just do not have this problem. They use their upper floor space. People live over the shop in, in other cities the way we don't. So, I mean, you make the point in this feature and uh, you, there are a number of different facets, as I, as I said to this, but let's, you know, because we've come to that, let's touch on this one first, mm-hmm. which is all this vacant space in what are now commercial dwellings in the, the kind of urban core of the uh, of Dublin, which we're, which we're talking about here, mm-hmm. the area between between the canals and particularly the sort of the, the densest parts of the city, close to the Liffey, big streets like O'Connell Street, Westmoreland Street, mm-hmm. uh, buildings that are four or five or maybe even six, six stories tall. Are there there's a lot of empty space as, as you move up those buildings. Yeah, well, well, when you say a lot of empty space, they're predominantly empty. There's there's very little of what we would call the, the living over the shop. And there was actually a scheme in the 90s to try and turn that around. It was called the living over the shop scheme. It focused just on two streets, really, um, with a, a little bit of variation, but on Capel Street and South Great Georgia Street. And the plan was to try and encourage people to look at their upper floor spaces and how they might reuse them and it was a tax incentive scheme and it just didn't work. So then about two years ago Michael Noonan came up with a new scheme, again a, a tax incentive scheme, uh, to get people to reuse. It was the, it was called the Living City Initiative and it was to reuse pre-1915 buildings and it was just hideously complicated and you could only qualify if it was under a, a certain size. A Georgian building, for instance, would just automatically not qualify unless it was a particularly small Georgian building. But what we think of as, as the Georgian squares, Parnell Square, none of the buildings there qualified. And that's one that's a square that's in particular need of, of revitalization. Um, but it, it also stopped own it was for owner occupiers uh, only. So it stopped anyone who might say, OK, I'll, I have some money. I'll pursue a commercial venture here. I'll take on this building and I'll put apartments in those upper floors, which is the natural way of doing things, because really there's very few people who would have the means to to live 
as a single family in a Georgian house in the city. And really, if you have that sort of money, you're probably not looking at living in the city centre because of all the other things, as a family, I mean, sure, and all the other problems. Too, 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 too many blocks in, in, exactly. in, in, in the way of people arriving at that. It's sort of fascinating that you have two, with 20 years apart, you have two initiatives trying to address essentially the same problem. Mm. And they're both kind of half-assed, aren't they? They are. Well, the improvements made in the in the scheme, in the in the Living City Initiative scheme in the most recent budget should help. They've taken in now, uh, uh, it doesn't have to be owner-occupiers anymore, and they've taken away that, that cap on the floor space that would have taken out the bigger houses. So maybe that'll work because I think the City Council have had 25, 26 applications in all since 2014 for the scheme and only four have been processed. And I I don't think that's to the fault of the City Council. I think it's just the 25, 26 people, most of them didn't qualify because of the owner-occupier rule, because of the floor caps rule. So, yeah, you would hope that this new new scheme... You'd also kind of hope... You, what's surprising, and you talk about the two things 20 years apart, it's surprising given the demand for housing in the city, given how much people seem to be able to make uh, in rents, you know, landlords seem to be able to make in rents. It's surprising that the market just hasn't taken exactly. care of this. Exactly. It's it's kind of astonishing. If you were to think of, I mean, if you think of a lot of the properties we're talking about, they're, they're owned by, you know, commercial landlords of one sort or another. Uh, I know some of them are owned by the shops, but a lot of them are owned by commercial landlords who presumably are looking to maximise uh, revenue. And presumably there's quite a substantial amount of revenue which they're foregoing by leaving the, this, yeah. this empty space. I, I don't know. That's something that needs investigation because a lot of them, of course, are owned by investment companies, pension companies, those sorts of people. Why it's in their interest to leave things vacant, I don't know. Hmm. Now, you were looking at a number of examples of of different types of property in the city which which weren't being maximised, some of which had been vacant for a long time. Hmm. Maybe you could just go through a couple of them because they're interesting yeah. examples of, of the different types of property. What I looked at specifically weren't the commercial buildings, weren't the Apollo House, uh, Hawkins House types. They were, peop- they were buildings that were residential buildings. Now, either your traditional private house or um, public housing, but older public housing. So the two older public housing blocks I looked at were um, on Moss Street. um, And people might be familiar with these, um, the other ones on Townsend Street, but I'll come to that. The Moss Street one, people might be familiar with these blocks. They're very early uh, corporation blocks. They were built around um, the 1915, 1917 mark in response to that era's housing crisis. Um, And they're on Moss Street, they're on Townsend Street and they're on Luke Street. They're red brick, quite tall, uh, four to five storeys, red brick buildings. Quite striking, quite handsome looking buildings from the outside. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, Now, they, they had just become... No longer suitable for modern living, I suppose, is the best way of putting probably it. You know, the bathrooms, did they? Bathrooms in the halls and uh, and that sort of thing. They were they were probably great when they were first built, but you know, a century has passed. Um, the Moss Street one I picked because it's particularly interesting because the last tenants moved out of it onto more modern accommodation in uh, early two thousands. You know, between two thousand and two thousand and five, it would have been emptied out, and then in two thousand and six, the um, council decided it would commission a, a building survey 
to see how the building might be reused, to see how easy it would be um, to convert it, to see what work might need to be done to the structure, um, to convert it into larger apartments for for, uh, modern use, but still as social housing. But that was 2006, and the the people who did the survey came back in 2007, and they said, yes, this is doable. They said, you do need a bit of work on the roof. Um, There were other things that they suggested. It was significant work, good bit of money probably required. They didn't put a monetary value on it at that stage, but they came back with their report in 2007. And, you know, at that stage, the money was drying up and the following year, everything had shut up shop. So what the council did was to put up the steel, the steel boarding on all the doors and windows and walk away and and hope they could come up with a plan for it. So at that stage, as I say, there was work needed to the roof. There was, you know, there was a bit of water ingress at that stage. But we're talking nearly 10 years on now and the place is just, it's a mess. It's a very, it's hard to say whether this building can be salvaged at this stage. A couple of years ago, um, the crowd called NABCO, they're, they're, they're a cooperative housing uh, movement. They're now called Cooperative Housing Ireland. And they're, they're a big crowd. They do, they do a lot of uh, schemes uh, in Dublin and around the country. They were interested and they looked at it and they do have funding. They have funding of about five and a half million for it. But they're now wondering, because the thing has deteriorated so much, is that even feasible? So that's a scheme that could maybe have been saved, but it's now the council are saying themselves they want to reconsider how that land uh, might best be now, used. There's a couple of things that strike me about that. One is that Dublin City Council, which is the body charged with you mm. know devising and implementing some of these strategies to address some of these problems, is a, is a major player in its own right, as in this example, as a, as, a, as an owner of a property. Yeah. And while one can accept on one level the fact that you know, the bottom fell out of the economy in 2007 to 2009. And so plans got, you know, shelved. They had a they had a civic responsibility not to let the building degrade to the extent that it did over the 10 years. They didn't yeah. have to spend millions to kind of secure the building until something was done with it, did they? Yeah, no, they, they definitely could have done more to, you know, ensure that water wasn't getting in and, you know, they could have done more, but if you think of what was also happening at the time in terms of social housing, it happened at pretty much the exact same time as all the its uh, public-private partnerships for places like O'Devney Gardens for St Michael's Estate, um, where they all collapsed. So it was just, a, you know, an appalling vista. And their eye probably went off the ball. They didn't look at this very old building, you know, which was going to be a, a pain in the neck to them. In, in any regard, because there were there were nobody there was nobody living in it for starters. Whereas in uh, O'Devney Gardens uh, and those other those other estates that uh, were to have been redeveloped as public private partnerships, there were people living there in desperate circumstances. That's where all the attention went, and this one just sort of. I, I suppose by. I can kind of appreciate that, and you know, the crisis faced by actual individuals living in homes is obviously going to take precedence. But given that there's a recurring thing around the city of Dublin, it's not just the city of Dublin. You see it in other Irish towns and cities as well, where people seem to be allowed to get away with permitting buildings to fall into a derelict state, even though there is legislation in place um, where you know where, where where action should be taken against them. Yeah. And yeah. and we see that in this instance and in other instances indeed yeah. with with the with 
with the state and with the local authorities. There, there okay. certainly is legislation and there's the Derelict Sites Act and, and uh, very soon there's going to be a vacant sites levy, which is when things have got so bad that there's there's nothing on the site anymore, that the buildings have been demolished and we've so many of those vacant sites around the city. But our planning process, our enforcement uh, process is reactive. So the council moves when somebody makes a complaint. Now, they do generally move pretty swiftly when someone makes a complaint and they start taking enforcement action. The last one I wanted to talk to you about, because I never knew it existed, was just a really simple little um, uh, old piece of social housing which sort of exists in an invisible way near Pier Street Garda Station, which I wasn't even aware of, even though I walk past it every day. Yeah, I love this one. This is uh, dates from about 1920. Uh, it's on Townsend Street, which is very near to Moss Street, the ones we were previously talking about, and, and a similar era, just a, a few years younger. Um, these, uh, and I think part of the reason why these these are the just a, the, the good news story is these are going to be brought back into use for housing but they weren't vacant for terribly long they were council flats above a row of shops um as i say dating from around 1920 and continuously occupied up until well quite recently they're they're probably in the the last 10 years uh, vacated but they're in quite good condition. There is a little bit of work needs to be done. There's work that needs to be done to convert them, to make them modern and habitable. But uh, the Peter McFerry Trust is going to take them on and make them into um, permanent housing for for uh, people le- leaving homelessness, largely single people and couples, but not families, adults leaving homelessness. Um, and I think they're going they're going to do a bit of extension at the back as well. But they'll they'll hope to get eighteen modern apartments out, out of that. It, it, it strikes me listening to that. I mean, we so much of the discussion at the moment about the housing crisis is about you have a you have a big story in uh, this this week in the newspaper about the whole the glass bottle site in mm. Poolbeg, which is going to be very high density with you know up to twelve or thirteen stories of, of of apartments. Then we hear all these you know incentives encouraging first time buyers, presumably to buy new homes as well. You know the the the, the classic Irish pattern of suburban housing estates being built on 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 the fringe, yeah. but. All these bits and pieces here could make as significant a contribution if the right if the right building blocks, for want of a better phrase, is in place, couldn't they? Yeah, it, and and it's a it's a twofold thing. It's that they'll make a contribution to the need for housing, but also the people moving into them will make a contribution to bringing older houses back into use. Because the worst thing you can do, as Moss Street shows, the worst thing you can do with a building is leave it vacant. That's how they fall into dereliction. They're, they're not being heated. People aren't noticing that water is coming in through the roof. They, they literally, unless they have people living in them, they just fall apart. So it would help twofold, give people housing and as well make uh, stop this dereliction, stop things that are, become, are vacant houses, become derelict houses, and then eventually fall down and become vacant sites, which we have so much of around the city. Is there some kind of a Here's my idle speculation question coming here. Is there some kind of a cultural issue about the way Irish people deal with um, older buildings, the urban fabric, um, you know, big parts of the city were ripped out in the 60s and 70s. Um, uh, There's still a kind of a general perception that what Irish people really want is a three-bedroom semi-detached home with a piece of green stuff in the front, front and back. Is there still some element of that there or is this purely about, you know, we have the wrong legislation in place. No, I, I, there definitely is that element. I, and I think the uh, 
the statistics show that people uh, do want that. They do want their three bed semi with the front and back garden. Uh, it's always shown as well when there is a, a regeneration of a social housing area, say it's a flat block. Uh, people will always say when they're asked what they want, they want a house. They want a house with a front and back garden, even if they and their mother and their grandmother grew up in flats. They say, no, I want I want a house now. It's interesting that you mentioned the pool bag uh, issue, because there will be no houses down there. That'll be up to 3000 homes and they will all be apartments. Well, we shall see. Listen, it's a really interesting article. I recommend that people read it this weekend. Olivia Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's it for this edition of Inside Story. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and engineer, JJ Vernon. We are really interested to know what you think of this new series. So remember, you can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter as well. Remember also that you can find all our shows on irishtimes.com slash podcasts or you can subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And if you're a subscriber, we do also always appreciate it if you take a moment to rate or review the show as it does a lot to help us reach a much wider audience but until the next time goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening